Inshallah, we will begin with the recitation. We will listen to the recitation of verse 183 onwards. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu kutiba alaykumusiyamu kama kutiba ala ladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattakun ayyaman ma'dudat faman kana min ഫലമ ഫാസ്റ്റിംഗ് you can develop god consciousness and why is taqwa necessary because taqwa is that realization that as a human being you have limits and your actions have consequences so you have to be careful about what you do and so you need to stop yourself from certain actions you need to stop yourself from certain words you have to protect yourself guard yourself against harm and this feeling is developed how by fasting so this is why fasting is something that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory on all nations he obligated fasting on all the different nations and also on the nation of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the muslim ummah and then we learn in the next ayah that fasting is not all year round it's not every single day that you're supposed to fast rather it is just certain days ayyamam ma'dudat they're limited they're counted they're numbered and at the beginning of ramadan how does it feel it's almost scary that how am i going to fast every single day of the month but then what happens you start fasting and then the end of ramadan is also there and ramadan is over it's gone so it's a few days don't be scared of fasting because the benefits of fasting outweigh the difficulty so here first the rule is given and then an exception is given that faman kana minkum maridan aw ala safarin fa'iddatun min ayyamin ukhra that if a person is sick or they're traveling 
then okay, they don't fast in Ramadan, but then they can make up those fasts when? At another time of the year. But they have to complete the number of those fasts. So if they missed three fasts because of their sickness, what will they do? They have to make up those three fasts at another time. If because of travel they missed some fasts in Ramadan, they will have to make them up at another time. So this is an allowance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. Now before we continue, I want you to understand this word marib, sick, a sick person. Now what kind of a sick person is exempt from fasting? Meaning how sick do you have to be to be allowed to leave your fast? Remember that there is levels of sickness. Isn't it so? One type of sickness is that a person has, for example, a stomach flu. For example. They're over that phase of throwing up, but they're still running to the bathroom. For example. Now what happens? They are physically drained. Isn't it? You need water. You need to you know, take proper food so that whatever you have lost in the sickness will be replaced. So if you start fasting then, and your body gets even more dehydrated, what's going to happen? Your sickness is going to prolong. Your recovery will be delayed. Now you might say, well, I don't have a fever. I'm not dying. It's not that I have an IV or something on. No, I'm okay. I can walk around. But you know that if you were to fast, then your recovery would be delayed. So in this case, are you allowed to leave your fast? Yes. So the first is when fasting would delay recovery. You're allowed to leave your fast then. The second is that fasting would worsen your condition. So for example, you have fever, you have a cough, you have a cold. So because of the fever, what do you need? You need some kind of medication so that your fever would go away. The cold, the cough is really hurting you. It's hurting your chest. You need your medication. So if you start fasting then, what's going to happen? Are you going to get better or are you going to get sicker? Your condition will get worse. So in this case also, you're allowed to leave your fast. And what is the second case? Where fasting will worsen your condition. Okay? And a third scenario would be where Fasting could cause death to a person. That can also happen. Like for example, a person is so sick, they need some urgent medication, they are very weak, and they start fasting, and then because they're not taking any medication, they're not really eating, they're not really drinking, what's going to happen? You know, they could literally die. So in this case, they must not fast. They're not allowed to fast. So in all of these three conditions, we see that we're allowed to leave our fast. However, because this is a temporary state, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to make up the missed fasts at another time of the year. Clear? Now what about travel? In what kind of journey, in what kind of travel are you allowed to leave your fast? Any travel that you would call travel that you would describe as a travel. Like for example, if you pass into a different time zone. Again, that's a long journey. But what if, for example, from Toronto you went to Niagara Falls? That's a trip, that's suffer. 
Because you didn't just sit in your car and say, okay, let's just drive to Niagara Falls. No, you packed up some food, you prepared your picnic basket or your mom did or whoever, and then maybe you stayed overnight. So this is safar. So any kind of safar that you describe as safar, you are allowed to leave your fast in that. Now, you know, we could say that, well, for us, really, travel is not that hard because all you have to do is go sit in a plane and that's it. So how hard would it be? It can be hard. You know why? Because planes can be very noisy. The air can be extremely dry. And the long flight can be such sometimes that your fast could turn out to be like 20 hours or maybe even more. Right? So it can cause difficulty. So this is an allowance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given. Now, when we look at the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we find out that in some journeys, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kept his fasts. And in other journeys, he actually did not fast. So in some journeys, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did fast. And in other journeys, he did not. And Anas radiallahu anhu said that sometimes we would be traveling and some of us would fast and others would not fast. And no one would criticize another person. So what do we learn? You have the option to fast or not fast when you're traveling. But you don't have the option to criticize other people for fasting or not fasting. So for example, you and your brother are going on a flight, let's say, just to Edmonton. That's like what, four hours maybe? So you're like, okay, it's just four hours, we'll be there very soon, I think I can fast. So you choose to fast, and your brother says, no, I'm not fasting, because, you know, I'm traveling. So he's not fasting, you're fasting. Now throughout your flight, should you be looking down at your brother? And thinking that, oh, what's wrong with him? He's not religious enough. When is he going to grow up and start fearing Allah and take his religion seriously? May Allah guide him. I mean, that's a good dua, which you should also make for yourself. But don't look down on someone who chooses not to fast while traveling. Okay? Because Allah has given us this option. So, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ this is the permission to leave your fast because of some temporary condition. Now, for some people, their sickness is not a temporary condition, it's a permanent condition. Like for example, like he said, somebody has cancer, for instance. Even when they do get their treatment, it's going to take a long time to recover and then their body is going to be quite weak. So they might not be able to make up those missed fasts. Because making up three or four missed fasts or ten missed fasts, okay, it's doable. But making up missed fasts of like three years, that's how many fasts? Ninety. It can be very, very difficult. So in this situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has again given an option. What is that? That for people who are permanently unable to fast, what do they do? They give a fidya. And what is the fidya? What is the ransom? That they have to feed one needy person per fast. And what kind of food do you give them? The food that you would generally eat. Okay, good question. What if the person who was not able to fast because of some permanent condition, and they were supposed to give the fidya, but they passed away? 
Now what? You know what's going to happen? Their family has to do it. Okay? Remember earlier we learned that when a person dies, then what happens to their money? To their property? It's distributed in who? Their family. But this is the thing. Before it's distributed in the family, you have to give from that any loan or any debt that had to be returned, any zakat that had to be paid, and also any fidya that had to be given. Okay? Good question. So, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُطِيقُونَهُ فِدْيَةٌ طَعَامُ مِسْكِينَ Now, I want you to understand this ayah a little bit more. Now, if you notice, there's one more ayah on the next page that says the exact same thing. Doesn't it? If you look at the last line, it says the same thing. وَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ It's the same thing. So, it's as if the rule came down two times. The rule of fasting was revealed at least two times. And that is true. Remember we learned in the first juz about naskh, about abrogation, hmm? that sometimes a command was given and then later another command was given in its place. And that is called naskh. Now what happened was that initially, at the beginning, the Muslims were told to fast. Okay? But... For people who were not familiar with fasting or for whom fasting for an entire month was difficult, they were given the option that, okay, if you find it too hard to fast, for whatever reason, right? If you find it hard to fast for whatever reason, okay, don't fast. But what do you do? You just give the fidya. So for example, if a person is a farmer, and they're working in their farm in the heat all day long. For them, fasting would be definitely very difficult. And there's another person who's a construction worker, for example. Ali radiallahu anhu used to work, you know, these odd jobs. And sometimes, you know, he would work to dig a well and all he would have to do is just carry the sand from one place to the other. That's what he would do. Now imagine if a person is doing that all day long while fasting, would that fast be easy on them? It would be difficult, right? So initially, the Muslims were given the option. If you don't want to fast because it's hard for you, okay, don't fast. Just give fidya. But then later, what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the next ayah, which is, if you look on the next page, that شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ The month of Ramadan is that in which the Qur'an was revealed and the Qur'an, its qualities are mentioned and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَصُمْهُ Whoever among you witnesses the month, meaning you're present, you're alive, and the month of Ramadan comes upon you, then what do you have to do? فَلْيَصُمْهُ then this person must fast the month of Ramadan. Meaning now, it's not optional. You understand? Initially, it was optional. Now, it was no longer optional. Everybody has to fast. But of course, وَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ But of course, if a person is sick, or they are traveling, then they can make up their fasts at another time. So is this clear?
Yeah? What do you understand? Initially, what happened? People were given the choice to fast or not fast. And then later, that choice was taken away. And you might say, oh, how lucky the companions were. Yes, they were lucky. They were fortunate. And they struggled a lot. They did so much for this religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gave them special favors. And of those favors was that at the beginning they had the option to fast or to not fast. Alright? One more point I want you to know is that before the month of Ramadan, meaning before fasting of the month of Ramadan was obligated, the Muslims were required to fast on Ashura. What is Ashura? The 10th of Muharram. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on Ashura even in Mecca. You know that? Even before he came to Medina. So Ashura, 10th of Muharram, everybody was supposed to fast. And there's actually a very beautiful narration in which we learn that Rubayyir bint Mu'awwid radiallahu anha, she said that we would all fast on Ashura and we would also make our children fast. Little children. Okay? And she said that to distract them, we would make some toys out of yarn or cotton. So then we would distract them whenever they would get hungry. So on Ashura, we see that everybody used to fast. Okay, And then when the fasting of Ramadan was obligated, then the fasting of Ashura became optional. And you know the benefit of fasting on Ashura. What is the benefit? That your sins get erased of the past year. Now, do you remember something similar about the fasts of Dhul Hijjah? In Dhul Hijjah, which was just a little while ago, if you fast on Arafah, what happens? Again, your sins are erased. Before Dhul Hijjah was Ramadan. Ramadan also brings what? Forgiveness, doesn't it? So then what's going on? Ramadan, all of Ramadan you fast and you're promised forgiveness inshallah. After some time there's Dhul-Hijjah, the fast of Arafah, you're promised forgiveness. And then what happens? Muharram comes, the 10th of Muharram you fast, you're promised forgiveness. Like what's going on? Why again and again? Why again and again? We keep making mistakes. That's the first thing. We keep making mistakes and so we all need forgiveness. But there's another reason also. Has it ever happened with you that you put your clothes in the wash? Some of you are so lucky, you just put your clothes in the wash and then you find them in your closet or in your room, folded on your bed. So let's say you put your clothes in the wash and then they come out there in your closet and you pull them out and you're like, Mom, did you wash them? And she's like, yeah, I did. They're like, no, they're still dirty. There's still a stain here or a stain there. So then what do you do? You put it in the wash... Again. And then what happens? It still doesn't come out clean. So then she's like, okay, well maybe we'll take it to the dry cleaners or something. So sometimes some things get so dirty that one wash is not enough. Isn't it? You need the extra wash again and again and again. And some of our sins are actually like that. They're so deeply rooted we have become so used to them. There's such bad habits that even in Ramadan, a whole month of fasting, still we're not able to break those bad habits. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the chance of Dhul Hijjah. Come on, break those bad habits now. Fast and get forgiven. 
But then what happens? We fast in Dhul-Hijjah. For a few days we're good. And then back to the same old bad habits. So then what? Another opportunity. The fasting of Muharram. The fast of Ashura. Fast again. Break those habits. Develop taqwa. Get forgiveness. So these repeated chances Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us for our own good. Okay. One more thing before we continue. If you go back to page 58. You see, we discussed that some conditions are temporary and other conditions are permanent. Right? So for the temporary condition, okay, you leave the fast and you make them up later. For a permanent condition, you don't make up the fast because they're beyond you. You will not be able to make them up. Now, just to be clear, just one thing before we talk about these topics and further verses also. There will be some things that I have to mention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned them in detail in the Qur'an. They are a part of our life. We're human beings. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided us with regards to everything in our lives. Okay? So there's going to be some things that I'm going to mention and you might feel a little uncomfortable about. But hey, you guys are not like five-year-olds who are going to laugh at the mention of you know, something related to the bathroom, right? You guys are big enough to handle such content, right? This is all related to real life. So we have to discuss these issues, okay? We're going to approach them normally. We're going to discuss them openly and responsibly with a level of modesty. But that modesty should not prevent us from learning about these matters, okay? So I want you to approach these matters in a very mature way, all right? Okay, so for this, fasts in Ramadan, one thing you have to be clear about is that for a woman who menstruates in Ramadan, and so she's not fasting, so let's say because of her period, she's not fasting for five or six days, she has to make those fasts up when? At another time of the year. Is that clear? You have to make up those fasts at another time of the year. Secondly, for a woman, let's say she is expecting a baby, and because of her health condition, because of you know her state, she's not able to fast. So again, she's allowed to leave her fasts, okay? Or she's nursing. She's not able to fast. She's allowed to leave those fasts, okay? But then there are two options for her, depending on her state. One option is that she makes up those fasts at another time of the year. Because pregnancy is a temporary condition. Okay, childbirth is a temporary condition. Nursing a baby again is a temporary condition. So this is why she should make them up later in the year or whenever possible. However, remember that technically you're supposed to make up your missed fasts before the next Ramadan. You understand? You're supposed to make up your missed fasts when? Before the next Ramadan. Now for a woman who's pregnant through the month of Ramadan and then she gives birth and then she's nursing her baby, is she going to be able to make up all those 30 fasts before the next Ramadan? It's going to be next to impossible for her. And who knows, next Ramadan, she might be having another baby. It's possible. So then what happens is that for many women, one Ramadan, they're not able to fast because they're pregnant. Next Ramadan, they're nursing. The next Ramadan, they're pregnant again. And so now they have 150 fasts to make up. Literally, I know women who have to make up almost 100 fasts 
fasting 30 days in Ramadan is difficult. Can you imagine making up 100 fasts? So for them, it would be extremely hard for some women to make up those fasts. So for those women for whom making up 100, 150 fasts is very difficult, they don't see that happening. They don't see it as a, a reality because now they've got like three children to run after. So for them, what can they do? They can give the fidya. Okay? So this is something that you should be aware of. And even boys over here don't think this is irrelevant. This is a human issue. Okay? So you should be familiar with this. So the first thing is make it up if you can. Okay? For a pregnant or nursing woman, she will make up the fasts if she's able to. But if they're accumulating year after year and she's not able to make them up, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? She's going to give the fidya. Now the question is why fidya? Why fidya? Can you think of a reason? Why fidya? What's the benefit of giving the fidya? You're giving food to who? A needy person. Is there any reward in that? Is there any reward in feeding a needy person? Yes. Right? Now, is there any reward for fasting? A lot of reward. So a person who's not able to fast is missing out on so much reward. Aren't they? For whatever reason, when they're not fasting, because of extreme sickness, permanent condition, they are missing out on a lot of reward. So are they just going to stay behind? Everybody else is accumulating reward upon reward every Ramadan and here's this person just sitting? No, they have to compete in the race also. So how are they going to get ahead? By doing another good deed. And what is that good deed? That you feed a needy person. And this teaches us a very, very important lesson. And I want you to make note of this. That anytime you're not able to do something good, because of your situation, don't allow yourself to stay back. Figure out what else you can do. You understand? Figure out what else you can do in order to make sure that you also get somewhere, you also accomplish something. So this is why the option of fidya is there, that those people who are not able to fast, then they also get the opportunity to earn reward one way or another. Any question before we continue? You can ask any awkward question. Go ahead. The question is that if a person, like for example, a woman has missed a hundred fasts over the years, is she supposed to feed a hundred meals to needy people? Yes. All right. One meal per fast. All right. This isn't the case where she's not able to make up those fasts. The same thing go for a diabetic person who's not able to fast. If they're not able to fast, then they have to give the fidya. So every Ramadan, 30 days for example, or 29, depending on how many fasts they were in, in that Ramadan, they have to give the fidya. What if a woman did not know that she was supposed to make up her fasts? And this is not because of pregnancy or nursing. This is because of menstruation. So she didn't know, and then she never you know, made up her fasts. So what is she going to do? She's going to estimate to the best of her ability. So she's going to estimate the best of her ability. So she's going to say, okay, for the past 10 years, I should have been making up my fasts, and I didn't. So let's say five fasts per Ramadan, so five times 10 is 50. So she has to make those up. But she's going to estimate the best of her ability. 
I mean, that's the thing. You can still make them up later. But technically, the rule is that you're supposed to make up your fasts before the next Ramadan. And if you're not able to make them up, let's say you were constantly traveling, school was very hard, summer was extremely hot, whatever happened, you weren't able to make them up, so you can still make them up later. Okay? That if a person was sick, they weren't able to fast, and they didn't really leave any money, then what's going to happen? The fidya has to be given by who? By their family. And one more thing, remember that if you don't make up your missed fasts, like fasts that you were supposed to keep, your heirs have to make them up for you. Like if you were to die, then your son or your daughter or your mother, whoever is your heir, is supposed to fast for you. So this is a serious matter. Your fasts are your fasts. So make them up as quickly as possible. And if you have to give the fidya, give that also as quickly as possible. So there are two understandings of the verse, right? Two interpretations. One way of looking at the verse is that, yes, this was a temporary allowance that was later abrogated. And then, because the verse is still there, the scholars do say that, yes, in one sense it's abrogated, but it's still applicable in another sense. Which is, not that now people have an option to fast or not fast, this is for people with a permanent condition where they're not able to fast. Like an extremely old person or a person with a severe illness and they see no hope of recovery. So in their condition, they will give the fidya. Okay, good question. So if a person who converts to Islam, then remember they're supposed to start fasting from the time they converted. Not the fasts from before Islam. Okay? So if a person is sick and they don't have the money to give the fidya, remember that feeding other people, yes, it seems like, oh my God, this is going to be very expensive. But it's not that expensive. We learned that Anas radiallahu anhu, he lived a very long life. And he became very old. So when he was not able to fast anymore, we learned that once he just made some soup and he put that in bowls and he put a piece of bread and he just gave that to the needy people. At once he gave several meals. It was just simple food. A bowl of soup with some bread. One meal. Right? It doesn't have to be a lot of money. It doesn't have to be very expensive. It can be something ordinary that you eat. You see here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ta'amu miskeen. Okay, the fidya is feeding a needy person. So the way you do that is either you go take some food for a needy person, or if you cannot do that yourself, you give the money for that amount of food to somebody else who will go and buy food and then distribute that on your behalf. So you cannot say that, okay, I'll just give a hundred dollars to some charity. No, you can't do that. It's not just any charity. It is food. Okay? It's food for who? For people in need. So either you give the food yourself. If you cannot do that, then you give the money to somebody who will do that on your behalf. Okay? And this is why you cannot go and just do some other act of charity. No, it has to be giving food to the people in need. Okay, so let's say there's a soup kitchen and you're like, okay, I'm just going to go and, you know, help out over there. Well, you can't just go and help out. You have to 
buy that food also and then provide that. Okay? So feeding your own children, would that be ta'amu miskeen? If they're sick? No. Miskeen is a person in need. Okay? A person in need. Meaning they are poor. They're not able to take care of all of their matters. They're not able to afford everything. And sometimes they cannot even afford food. I'm actually amazed at your questions. Why is it so hard to feed hungry people? You don't have the money? Okay. First of all, you're not required to give the fidya anyway. Right? Alhamdulillah. You can fast. Allah has given you that physical ability, so you fast. Okay? And if you use your money wisely, you can take out the money for fidya. And this should not be hard. I mean, we should actually be happy that, okay, we get to feed people who need food. We should be happy for this opportunity. One more thing, that fidya does not have to be sent to some other country. It can be given in your local community also. Because it's ta'amu miskeen. And it does not say it has to be a Muslim miskeen. It's a hungry person. Anyone.